I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Welcome to this podcast of The People's Pharmacy. You can find previous podcasts and more information on a range of health topics at peoplespharmacy.com. Drug commercials on TV make medications look miraculous until you listen to the long list of serious side effects. This is The People's Pharmacy with Terry and Joe Graydon. At least one-fifth of American adults take five or more prescription drugs. When medications accumulate, so can bad reactions and interactions. Physicians are not always taught about how to de-prescribe medications. How can pharmacists help patients learn which drugs are essential and which might be causing more harm than good? Phasing off medicines requires expert supervision. Gradual tapering may be more challenging than many people realize. Stopping too quickly could lead to withdrawal symptoms. Coming up on The People's Pharmacy, how de-prescribing can save lives. In the People's Pharmacy Health Headlines, the latest entry in the anti-obesity sweepstakes is now available in the United States. Terzepatide was first approved for type 2 diabetes in 2022 under the brand name Mounjaro. Last month, the Food and Drug Administration approved the same injectable drug to combat obesity. The brand name is Zepbound. It's starting to reach pharmacy shelves. The list price for uninsured patients is over $1,000 a month. Insured people whose policy does not cover ZepBound could be charged around $500. On the other hand, those whose insurance covers the drug might pay as little as $25 a month. Doctors who treat obesity are excited about this new medicine because in trials, People on ZipBound lost more than 20% of their body weight over about a year and a half. The manufacturer, Eli Lilly, cautions that the drug works best in conjunction with a reduced calorie diet and extra exercise. Novo Nordisk, the maker of a competing weight loss drug called Wegovi, has been spending a lot of money on physicians who are opinion leaders in the field of obesity treatment. A Reuters special report reveals that the Danish drug company spent over $25 million during the past decade on travel and consulting fees for influential physicians. This covers promotion of both Wegovi and an earlier anti-obesity drug called Saxenda. According to the report, at least 57 doctors in the U.S. have accepted $100,000 or more from Novo Nordisk. Many are members of the Obesity Society. Some leading experts have received more than a million dollars in consulting fees and promotional talks. These drugs do have some potentially serious side effects, including nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and muscle loss. When people stop these medications, they often regain the weight they lost. Many years ago, scientists conducted a head-to-head trial of blood pressure medications. They wanted to know which antihypertensive worked better, a thiazide-type diuretic, a calcium channel blocker, or an ACE inhibitor. The all-hat trial has now gathered data for up to 23 years. Researchers analyzed the follow-up data to detect any differences in mortality among the three different types of treatment. There were 32,800 volunteers who started the trial. Cardiovascular mortality and most other outcomes were quite similar among the three groups. 
An earlier analysis had shown a higher rate of heart failure among participants taking the calcium channel blocker amlodipine compared to the diuretic chlorthalidone. In this analysis, people taking the ACE inhibitor lisinopril were 11% more likely to have a stroke than those on the diuretic. Their risk of dying from a stroke was 19% higher than if they had been taking chlorthalidone. These risks were apparent long after the trial period ended. According to our calculations, over 40 million Americans take one of the three most popular cholesterol-lowering statin-type medications, atorvastatin, simvastatin, and rosuvastatin. That represents over 5 billion pills annually and makes statins among the most prescribed drugs in America. But a research report in the Annals of Internal Medicine concludes only about a third of eligible people are taking statins. The authors suggest that many more people should be taking statins to comply with guidelines. If you've ever enjoyed sushi at a Japanese restaurant, you might be familiar with wasabi. It's an innocuous-looking pale green condiment that packs a powerful wallop. Now, researchers have determined that the ingredient primarily responsible for the flavor can actually boost brain power. The Japanese scientists recruited 72 individuals at least 60 years old. After initial cognitive testing, these people started consuming 6-methylsulfonylhexylisothiocyanate, or placebo. They took capsules so the taste wouldn't give it away. After three months of supplementation, the volunteers took another battery of tests. They had significant improvements in their episodic and working memories, though none in other cognitive domains. They suspect that the anti-inflammatory and antioxidant activity of 6-MSITC may be responsible. And that's the health news from the People's Pharmacy this week. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Americans take a lot of medicines. The latest data suggests that pharmacists dispensed nearly 7 billion prescriptions last year. At least a fifth of adults take five or more medicines. That doesn't include over-the-counter drugs, which means a lot of people are taking multiple medications. This is especially true for older Americans. It's not unusual for someone to have an array of prescription bottles on their kitchen counter or nightstand. Sometimes all those pills can cause unexpected problems. To find out more about the hazards of too much medicine and what can be done about it, we are talking with Dr. Delon Canterbury. He's the founder of Geriatrics and Deprescribing Accelerator. Dr. Canterbury is a board-certified geriatric pharmacist with a passion for reducing harmful medication use in older adults across the country. We are so excited to have in our studio today Dr. Delon Canterbury. He is a board-certified geriatric pharmacist and the founder of Geriatrics and the de-prescribing accelerator. We think all of these things are incredibly important. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy, Dr. Delon Canterbury. Yes. Thank you so much for having me, Joe and Terry. Appreciate you guys having me on today. Pleasure to be here. So, Dr. Canterbury, 
what is a board certified geriatric pharmacist? You're not very old. <laughs> I love it. Um, I, I get that joke a good bit, actually. But um, yeah, so just like how we have different types of medical doctors, right? We may have different pharmacists that can specialize. So there are pharmacists that specialize in cardiology, you know, ambulatory care, um, or even nephrology for the kidneys. I had to focus more on the older population. So yeah, I am a little bit younger, if you can tell, but uh, I got my board certification in 2017. And so this is something a pharmacist can test and train for outside of pharmacy school. Why is it so important? Well, for me, we honestly don't have enough pharmacists in this space. You know, about 1% of all pharmacists are trained in geriatrics. And the truth is, as you guys know, we have an aging population that's growing and growing and caregivers that aren't getting the support they need in managing those meds. So I decided to focus more on this space after seeing how many of my older patients, honestly, I didn't know how to treat or manage in the retail setting. And that inspired me to get into the aging population, use this voice to advocate and highlight some of the issues that I saw in the community setting. When we spell geriatrics, and Terry, you could help me here, G-E-R-I-A-T-R-I-C-S. Correct. But you spell geriatrics a little differently. <laughs> You're the founder of geriatrics. Spell Correct. it, please. Yeah, geriatrics, uh, G-E-R-I-A-T-R-X, as in X-ray. Now, of course, older people do take a lot of medications. Mm -hmm. they, they take more medicines than younger people because they've got more stuff wrong with them. Mm -hmm. But one of the things we've noticed over the years is that sometimes a doctor will prescribe a medication for a person who has a problem and then... That medicine may cause side effects, mm. and that doctor or sometimes a different doctor will prescribe a medicine to address the side effects from the first medicine, and you get into a whole cascade of problems, if mm -hmm. I may say so. How do you address that? We find that doctors are sometimes a little reluctant to take people off medicines. Mm -hmm. No, it's an excellent question and an amazing choice of word with cascade. So you're um, uh, deftly uh, referring to the prescribing cascade, right? Where one medication is being used to treat another side effect of another medication instead of it being seen or mistaken as a new health condition. And this happens a lot in our older generation, right? Um, on average, they're taking way more than five medications. In fact, usually more than 10. There may be some hesitancy, but what I have found in this space, truthfully, is that our prescribers aren't exactly the ones the most trained in pharmacology and medicine and understanding some of those side effects, some of those patterns we see in those med lists. And that's where a pharmacist on that care team can educate and use that as an opportunity to show, hey, did you realize that this certain blood pressure med is actually causing foot swelling? So you don't necessarily need another diuretic. We can just remove or change that drug to another. And an example like that can happen 10 times over, right? It can happen with people on long-term uh, omeprazole or heartburn medicines. And there's an association of having pneumonia with chronic use of that and even falls and fractures. So kind of just tying the pieces to the puzzle and working backwards instead of just seeing it as, oh, you have this, therefore you need this. We got to get out of this pill for every ail mentality. 
And it sounds as though you're really actually trying to look at the whole picture, the big picture mm. of the patient as an entire person rather than just one uh, one little data point for mm-hmm. perhaps their blood pressure. Correct. It has to be holistic-based. It has to be lifestyle medicine-based. I can't just look at it and say, hey, this is what we got to do. We have to look at what the patient wants. Do they want to be on the meds? Do they want to get off the meds? Do they know they can get off the meds? What do they want out of life? And so when I have these deep prescribing conversations, it's around how do we maintain that quality of life and that person-centered care? Now, Dr. Canterbury, There are a lot of health professionals out there, and even some patients for that matter, who adopt a mantra called, don't mess with success. Mm -hmm. In other words, well, it's working. Let's Mm -hmm. not rock the boat. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the blood pressure medicine that might cause swelling of the ankles. Mm -hmm. Give us an example of a, a blood pressure pill that might do that, for example. Yeah, yeah, sure. So commonly seen one is amlodipine, mm-hmm. yeah, um, pretty yeah. much the first line uh, blood pressure med. And there. amlodipine is prescribed in huge quantities. It's one of the top blood pressure medications. So somebody ends up having to maybe change their shoe size. I mm-hmm. used to be a size 10. Now mm-hmm. I'm a size 11 because my foot doesn't fit anymore. Mm-hmm. And so what would often happen would be, oh, well, we'll prescribe hydrochlorothiazide, a diuretic, Mm -hmm. get rid of that excess fluid. Mm -hmm. But then hydrochlorothiazide depletes the body of potassium. And so now we have to add potassium. And potassium may cause some abdominal complaints. So now now we're back to the omeprazole (laughs) that you just mentioned, the PPI, Prilosec. And, And so this cascade, as Terry described it, is not uncommon. But doctors are very comfortable with, you know, it works. Mm -hmm. Why should we change anything? And doctors are often in silos. So the doctor who prescribed the blood pressure pill is not the same doctor who's dealing with the digestive upset caused by the potassium. Love it. Yeah. And it's, it's spot on that you say that. And it's, I mean, I don't love it. It's terrible, but it happens all the time, right? This prescribing cascade can be quite uh, insidious. And so for me, I have to frame the convo around when I come to the clinicians is, you know, when did things start? You know, we have to treat it like a puzzle. Like when we added this, what changed in a person's care? What was the difference? What was a new condition, quote unquote, that came about? And we were able to work backwards and show that kind of trajectory, which you aptly uh, delineated. It You can use it as your argument to show, hey, we can do this better. Let's just work backwards and taper them off. One of the things that occurs to me is that Joe mentioned that doctors often are practicing in silos. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, and they only have a few minutes per patient. Yeah. How do you get involved with this? Yeah, excellent point. Um, Yeah, you're right. On average, like you say, 15 minutes, 12 minutes average uh, per visit. And honestly, there are structural barriers around this medication de-prescribing approach. One, let's talk about the root issue. They're not educated on this. Prescribers simply are not taught about the concepts of de-prescribing. It's more so we're trained to treat and manage care, right? And so there has to be a shift in our general medication education. And it shouldn't just be all on the doctor because they have tons of other competing priorities, prior authorizations, long waits, you know it. But when it comes to these silos, right, I think we also need to incentivize 
having more of this conversation by leveraging your pharmacist. And I don't think, you know, necessarily every community pharmacist wants to do that, but this is where medicine is going. And so to take off the burden on the prescriber, have a, like, for instance, we use a concierge approach in our company. We do this for patients. So we give our patients an hour and a half, whatever time they need to understand every medication as much as possible. And then we communicate those concerns with the doctor. So it's not necessarily being done in clinic. It's being done in the patient's home, whether it be virtual or Mm -hmm. through a phone call or through the caregiver. So one, we got to start using pharmacists. Two, we have to give them at least more structural incentive because the industry just incentivized people to be on more and more pills. So we got to get out of the sick care method and get back into the more proactive approach. One of the things that I think that is uh, a challenge Mm -hmm. for both prescribers and dispensers these days are the direct-to-consumer ads. Oh, yeah. They're everywhere. They're all the time. They're very appealing. Mm -hmm. Take this and you'll be happy. (laughs) Take this and you'll be well. Yeah. So how do we get out of this mentality of a pill for every ill? Because that's what television is telling us. Man, it's a loaded question, my man. But uh, it it can be done. We can reframe this narrative we've been force-fed for so long. But it starts with the patient being empowered. So education is the first step. And having a trusted messenger show that there are other ways outside of medicine using non-pharmacological approaches, stress management, sleep hygiene, We talk about those first before getting to those band-aids that we call medicines. You are listening to Dr. Delon Canterbury, founder of Geriatrics and the Deprescribing Accelerator. Dr. Canterbury is a board-certified geriatric pharmacist with a passion for reducing harmful medication use in older adults across the country. Terry, there was an article in JAMA two weeks ago, and it pointed out that it's much easier for health professionals to prescribe medicines than to deprescribe. It's so good that this is finally getting some public attention. After the break, we'll find out more about Dr. Canterbury's deprescribing accelerator. Why is deprescribing so important for older patients? You'll also hear about the beers list. It has nothing to do with beverages. One tricky part of deprescribing could be a discontinuation syndrome, symptoms from stopping a drug. Sometimes pharmacists face significant challenges if they want to question a drug or combination of medications. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible in part by Cocovia, backed by 20 years of scientific research and the maker of the most proven and concentrated flavanol extract in the market today, CocoPro Cocoa Extract. Cocoflavanols are among the most studied plant-based bioactives today and are clinically proven to promote cardiovascular and brain health for the long term, supporting a strong heart, and better memory. Get 15% off your order of any Cocovia product by using the discount code PPOD15. Learn more at Cocovia and remember that discount code is PPOD15. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. 
This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements. Cocovia Memory Plus is formulated with 750 milligrams of cocoflavanols, a level clinically proven to improve three different types of memory and support brain function. More information at cocovia.com. Do you know someone who's taking a handful of pills? You might know several such people. It's not uncommon for a person to take two or three different blood pressure medications, a statin-type cholesterol-lowering drug, something to control pain, such as a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug like ibuprofen or naproxen, and possibly even a medicine to control blood sugar like metformin. A recent article in JAMA was titled, Deciding When It's Better to De-Prescribe Medicines Than to Continue Them. The author mentions prescribing inertia, the tendency to keep prescribing a drug even if it's no longer needed. Pharmacists can play a critical role in evaluating the need for each medicine. They also serve as a safety net to catch dangerous drug interactions. But pharmacists are under increasing time pressure. As a result of the hectic pace in most pharmacies these days, Pharmacists have no time to take breaks or even go to the bathroom. It's little wonder that patients may be reluctant to bother the busy pharmacist for information about deprescribing. To learn why deprescribing is important and how it can be done safely, we're talking with Dr. Delon Canterbury. He's the founder of Geriatrics and the Deprescribing Accelerator. Dr. Canterbury is a board-certified geriatric pharmacist with a passion for reducing harmful medication use in older adults. Dr. Canterbury, you have created the Deprescribing Accelerator. What is it, and why is it so very important? Yeah, so... I started my company, Geriatrics, in 2020, focusing on providing those one-on-one concierge services to families and caregivers and older adults. And in doing that for a couple of years, figuring out the game, knowing what tools to use, what, you know, genetic tests we can provide, what other kind of really relevant clinical pearls, uh, I decided to package that into a course for clinicians. So my reason behind this was because my grandmother suffered from an inappropriate medication side effect. She was in a nursing home. She had mild dementia. They gave her an antipsychotic inappropriately with an FDA black box warning saying, don't use in dementia. They did it. And her symptoms declined. And so my parents had to deal with everything as a caregiver, moving her, you know, managing her care, childproofing the home. Her mild dementia turned to severe. And so That got me into this space and seeing that, why are we paying for people to die slowly in these facilities? Why are we paying hard-earned money that we've worked as citizens to not have optimum quality care from a medication error? So I created this course specifically to teach other clinicians to keep that from happening, whether you be a pharmacist, a nurse, a social worker, or even a prescriber or PA. 
all of them, I believe, need to be educated on deprescribing. And so my mission in vision with deprescribing is to change the narrative of medicine and have us get to these more lifestyle approaches, these more root cause issues, and use as much non-pharmacological interventions as possible. And deprescribing, especially in our older adults who suffer the most from polypharmacy and medication harm, is my focus. Now, I would like to ask about something that's going to start out sounding kind of technical, mm -hmm. um, and we need to de-technicalize it okay. so that uh, all of our listeners can get on board with us. Um, I'd like to ask you about something called the beers list. Mm -hmm. This is a list that was put together many years ago mm -hmm. by a gentleman named Beers mm -hmm. who said, a lot of these drugs, these are the mm -hmm. drugs we should be especially paying attention to and especially not prescribing to older people. Tell us more about it, please. Yeah, the, the Beers list is my best friend, and I do like beer either way. Uh, but seriously, Mark Beers was a, a renowned geriatrician in the 90s who developed this, essentially this 200 to 300 drug list detailing to other clinicians which medications may be potentially inappropriate in people over 65. Not in a hospice setting, but more in community-dwelling adults. And this list is so vital when it comes to me building these cases for de-prescribing because it really highlights the types of classes of medications. It highlights whether you may have poor kidney function or great kidney function or poor liver function. It goes into detail and even characterizes it by the health condition. So if you have, say, uh, uh, dementia, which medications do you avoid with dementia? If you have heart failure, which medications do you avoid with heart failure? So it was the first of its kind in our country to essentially help other fellow geriatricians managing these older adults kind of have a hit list of what meds may be problematic. It doesn't mean they're all big no-nos or harmful, but it does delineate really clearly, and anyone can use it as a freely available resource, to check out which meds you should watch out for and why. It gives you a rationale and clinical evidence to why. And it gets updated every so often? Yeah, updated every uh, about three years. Uh, we just had a recent update launched this past May uh, 2023. Uh, so check that out. It's freely available. They also have an app as well. So now it's um, taken over by the American Geriatric Society, which is what's uh, who sponsors and helped to fund that. So yeah, it's now considered the American Geriatric Society Beers Criteria. I wish every pharmacist every nurse practitioner, every PA, and every physician would check the beers list every time they write a prescription for mm. somebody over the age of maybe even 60. Agreed. Because some of these drugs should not be prescribed. End of point. That's it. Yeah. You know, full stop. Yeah. Full stop. Well, and of course, you don't know. Aging is so different. Some people are are really pretty aged by the mm -hmm. time they get to 60, mm -hmm. and others are really doing okay until they're almost 80. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, people can are living longer. <laughs> we have the evidence that supports it. And again, I'm not against medicines keeping us living longer and healthier, but I'm with you. We don't do that enough. And there's always this, we don't have the time, there's a, a alert fatigue, whatever excuse you want to make it. If you're treating the patient like it's your actual loved one, you're going to do all you can. To We're going to come sources. back to that alert fatigue issue oh, yeah. in a minute, because that is so very important in our mm -hmm. day of computerized everything. Mm -hmm. But first, Dr. Canterbury, 
I've got a problem with discontinuing medications, okay? Mm -hmm. I mean, you're talking about deprescribing, and we are totally on board with deprescribing, and we're going to tell you a little story Mm -hmm. about uh, a a patient who had a really great outcome after she had been deprescribed, so to speak. But first, it's hard to stop many medications because when you stop them, there's something called withdrawal. Mm -hmm. Now, the FDA, in its infinite wisdom, in its official prescribing information, has come up with a, I'll call it a sanitized version. They call it discontinuation syndrome. Sounds like no big deal. But in point of fact, there are dozens, maybe scores, perhaps hundreds of drugs that if you stop them suddenly, cold Mm -hmm. turkey, so to speak, you are going to go through hell. Oh, yeah. So if you look in the prescribing information for the management strategy, Mm -hmm. It's not there. They say, oh, gradual tapering. <laughs> well, what does that exactly. mean? <laughs> Is it days, no weeks, months? There are some drugs that it may take a year or longer to get off. Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. talk to us about the discontinuation syndrome and how a pharmacist could play a key role. Oh, yeah. No, pharmacists are, are vital for that process. And there are specific drugs you cannot stop cold turkey. It will lead to more harm. Um, particularly, I'm thinking about uh, certain opioids, uh, certain benzodiazepines, um, even certain blood pressure medications you just can't stop because you may get some uh, rebound withdrawal effects. But this is the beauty of a pharmacist. We kind of know the basics of pharmacokinetics. We know how long a drug may last in the body. We know uh, how it's cleared. We can do that based on your weight, your age, uh, your kidney function. And so it it is not necessarily a fine art. You have to play with how the patient responds. And so it does take a little bit of uh, variance and wiggle room when it comes to that tape. Well, what process. we've learned is that, as you say, people are very different. Mm-hmm. And so there's some people who can stop a, an antidepressant like uh, Lexapro, let's just say, or Prozac mm-hmm. for that matter, in a couple of weeks mm-hmm. and do just fine. And yep. there are other people who have told us the antidepressant Cymbalta, duloxetine, mm-hmm. can take months. In fact, there are some people who remove one little bead from the capsule, not every day, mm-hmm. but every week or every month. And it can take, some cases, over a year to get off duloxetine without right. experiencing any withdrawal symptoms. Mm-hmm. So this is not a cookbook. You, you, mm-hmm. It's a very gradual process. Extremely. Uh Extremely gradual, especially when it comes to these specific type of uh, psych medications that deal with the neurotransmitters in our brain. Uh, we're, we're playing with the, the, the body's chemistry. And so to your point, that class of medication is extremely difficult. Uh, the, the more notorious one is um, Effexor or Venofaxine. People just have mm-hmm. the worst nightmares, like all types of shakes. I mean, it's like you're going through like a cocaine withdrawal. Uh, but yeah, that is seen in that class of medications. It's also seen in, in benzos as well. Well, back when Effexor was actually a fairly new drug, we took a call here on the radio, and the individual was 
taking Efaxor and said, well, I actually call it side Efaxor. It's like American Express. You don't want to leave home without it. Oh, man. Um, because it's a really short-acting drug, and if you miss a dose, you are going to wish you hadn't. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. And when so it, it's useful yeah. in some situations, mm-hmm. but it's something that you really do have to know about. Yeah. And that's the problem. We are not always transparent and telling people, hey, once you start this, you may be on it forever. And I'm not saying that we should, but we're not giving people the due justice of knowing what are the long term effects of trying to taper down later in life. And so now you're 60, you've been on this med forever, and now it could be causing issues later in life. And we don't know. And we have heard that sort of story from, uh, for example, an individual who was prescribed a benzodiazepine because Mm. they were feeling anxious and they had insomnia after a loved one died. And now it's 10 or 15 or 20 years later, and they're still taking the drug because how did they get off it? And as we know, benzodiazepines, I think most of them are on that Years list of drugs that may be inappropriate you know for older that, people. Yeah. We heard from a family. Uh, a woman uh, said my aunt was in a nursing home. She was doing very badly. The doctor said she was almost ready to die. And um, my sister and I, we were the we were the family. She didn't have kids. So we were her family. And we went to the nursing home and we said, well, if she's almost ready to die, can't we take her off of some of these drugs? And they said, she's almost ready to die. Sure, we'll take her off the drugs. And, you know, what harm can it do in the two or three days she has left, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they took her off the drugs. She lived another two or three years with mm. much better quality of there life. There we go. And her mind came go. back. They, yeah. She recognized it. them. And she was, yeah. you know, everybody was like, whoa, what happened? Uh-huh. She graduated. She graduated she from hospice. That's exactly. Our, our, the nursing home in this yeah. setting. But this is not a rare story. I, I hear it all the time. People are on their way to hospice. They're thinking they're about to die. They get off the meds and suddenly they're back. And it's like... Let's do that before it takes them going to hospice. (laughs) Exactly, because sometimes people wait too long to go into hospice care, and it would be better if they had that extra quality of life earlier. Early, yeah. And hospice isn't the end of the road, guys. Sometimes we forget that we can use hospice for rehab and just get back to where we need to be. So sometimes I recommend hospice for people in those transitional states. Dr. Canterbury, I'm going to ask you a really tough question. Good. So let's just imagine you're a pharmacist and maybe you're in a retail pharmacy situation Mm -hmm. and you get a notice on your computer that says this patient should not be receiving this new medicine that the doctor has just prescribed because it's contraindicated. It's inappropriate. It could cause Mm -hmm. an interaction problem. Mm -hmm. Well, now you're caught in a bind because the patient's waiting. They, they, mm-hmm. They've just given you, you know, their prescription. They want to get it filled and they want to go home. Mm-hmm. And you're going, uh-uh, I don't like this. You call the doctor. Mm-hmm. You get the receptionist. The receptionist says, um, The doctor's with the patient. Sorry, I can't talk now. <laughs> yeah. Now you're stuck because the patient wants the medicine. Doctor told the patient he or she needed it, but you can't talk to the doctor. It's contraindicated. So- you're probably going to have to send the patient home without the drug 
because it could be very, very dangerous. Mm -hmm. But meanwhile, you're waiting for the doctor to call you back. Mm -hmm. And we have talked to many pharmacists who say, well, sometimes, sometimes I get a call back the next day yeah. or two days later. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. sometimes I never get a call. Yep. Yeah, yeah, you're you're painting my my early career uh, in retail uh, as a pharmacy manager. So it, it happens pretty often, depending on the response time, the clinic, the office, the type of interaction that I'm looking at. Um, it's more of a clinical call. But no, I would do the exact same thing. I would call the doctor, uh, leave a message, and sometimes the doctor will just send a new script without even talking to me. Sometimes they'll uh, want to talk and actually get some more details as to why they're seeing that interaction. Sometimes they just don't know. And they're like, oh, okay, no clue. Let's change it. And they appreciate us catching it. So uh, physicians really do appreciate the pharmacist's role. But in that type of setting, it could be quite fast-paced and stressful. And no one wants to be in a pharmacy waiting for an hour. So you got to really just communicate and level set with the person uh, in real time and keep them abreast as things are updated. And so that's how I've been able to build that rapport and trust with my patients. And patients have to have trust in their pharmacist because yeah. if the pharmacist is catching a um, potential interaction yeah. that could maybe kill you, mm -hmm. you better pay attention, better to go home, better to wait for a follow-up because you know, sometimes those drugs can interact in a very bad way and yeah. the pharmacist is, is capable of catching that. Yeah. And I mean, we... I mean, a medical record can only go so far, guys. Like, unless, like, you're not going to always know the patient's allergies unless they try it, they fail it, and now they're back in the hospital, you know? And then we've put the allergy in. So some health systems don't always share that information. So to that point, yeah, we got to be thorough. You are listening to Dr. DeLon Canterbury. He's founder of Geriatrics and the Deprescribing Accelerator. Dr. Canterbury is a board-certified geriatric pharmacist with a passion for reducing harmful medication use in older adults across the country. After the break, we'll discuss the problem of alert fatigue. That's when the computer says, oh, be careful about this possible interaction or watch out, test for potassium levels. It's a pretty serious problem. When pharmacists intervene to prevent certain interactions, they can save lives without the patient even realizing it. We often urge people to talk with the pharmacist, but how practical is that? drive through windows at the pharmacy, promote the idea that drugs are commodities, and downplay the potential importance of a pharmacist's input. How does Dr. Canterbury help patients interface with doctors when it comes to de-prescribing? You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible in part by Gaia Herbs. For more than 30 years, Gaia Herbs has nurtured the connection between people and plants to deliver nature's vitality. Their full-spectrum formulas are designed to provide an herb's complete array of beneficial compounds with nothing artificial to get in the way. Learn more at GaiaHerbs.com. That's G-A-I-A Herbs. Com. Welcome. 
Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. And I'm Joe Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements. Cocovia Cardio Health is offered in both convenient capsule and powder formats, with each serving containing 500 milligrams of cocoflavanols to support heart health. More information at cocovia.com. If you watch television at all, you know that pharmaceutical manufacturers spend a huge amount of money on television commercials. There's Rinvoke for ulcerative colitis, rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, and eczema. Skyreasy ads promote its use against plaque psoriasis, psoriatic arthritis, and Crohn's disease. Mounjaro ads urge people with type 2 diabetes to do diabetes differently. They don't mention the other reason Manjaro is flying off the shelf, off-label use for weight loss. Other heavily advertised diabetes drugs include Jardiance and Ozempic. You know, O-O-O, Ozempic. Prescription drug commercials feature people climbing walls, flying planes, sailing boats, riding motorcycles, dancing, or having fun at the fair. They really have helped normalize the idea of taking a medicine, or more than one, to stay healthy and active. But the list of possible drug side effects might give you pause. It's not uncommon to learn that a seemingly fantastic new medicine can cause heart attacks, strokes, kidney damage, cancer, or death as an adverse drug reaction. Your pharmacist can help put the commercials into context. Has your pharmacist saved your life? How would you know? A lot goes on behind the counter when it comes to medication safety. If a new prescription is incompatible with your current regimen, the pharmacist may step in to prevent catastrophe. Or, if that person is overworked and overwhelmed, they might experience alert fatigue and fail to take the time to contact the prescriber. Today's guest is committed to helping patients avoid dangerous drug interactions and unnecessary prescriptions. Dr. Delon Canterbury is the founder of Geriatrics and the Deprescribing Accelerator. Dr. Canterbury is a board-certified geriatric pharmacist. Dr. Canterbury, we were just talking about um, the pharmacist in the pharmacy, filling prescriptions. It's, as you say, fast-paced environment, very stressful, and they need to work fast. Mm. They... <clears throat> are filling a prescription and a a warning comes up on the screen. Mm-hmm. This this prescription might have a problem. Mm-hmm. Do you pay attention to that alert or do you override it? We have read some research suggesting that prescribers and pharmacists both may sometimes override mm-hmm. alerts, computerized it's, it's alerts. It's called alert fatigue. Tell mm-hmm. us about it. Yeah, yeah. I could speak from firsthand experience. Um, working in retail, you get you get drug interaction alerts for everything, um, and you cannot continue filling the script if you don't override or at least find a way to document why you're overriding something. And so... After a while, when you're giving 100 COVID shots, 50 flu shots, uh, you're behind on scripts, you have a tech call out, you didn't have a lunch break. um, Or a bathroom break. Or a bathroom break, you know, very common. Um, 
you uh, you kind of weigh what battle you want to fight. And you don't always have the energy to fight every single battle. And I will say, sometimes those alerts are nonsense, bogus. And so there is a clinical judgment that needs to be taken mm-hmm. into consideration. Like if you're telling me, uh, you know, a meprazole interacts with a blood thinner, it's like that's not a real alert, but it's an alert that comes up chronically in our world but not when you needed to worry about yeah not when you have to worry about but like if it's like oh that's a major interaction or contraindication or oh he's getting an opioid filled at another pharmacy when i checked his database like those types of things i have to like act on and document and make sure everyone's aware but to your point when you're in that setting day in day out i was a victim of alert fatigue all i did was override override and honestly hope they were fine. And it wasn't to the extent of putting people in harm's way. I'm going to still use my ethical codes here, but you get to a point where you're just tired and you can't call every doctor for every interaction that's wrong or else you're not going to get anything done. So there is a, that's why you have, that's why community pharmacists are so versatile. They're powerful. Like we have to weigh quick decisions right there that can be life-threatening. And so there is alert fatigue. Physicians see it all the time. They're in 15-minute windows and they see, oh, beers, okay, eh, all right, that's fine. She's had it before. And so you're kind of using that judgment off of what they may have already had, what's worked before, uh, is it a new start, what's their kidney? You know, you weigh these things quickly, but you're not going to always have that in a retail setting. So let me tell you about a, a pharmacist hero story. This was uh, a pharmacist who I talk to on a regular basis, and she was... Um, she was dealing with a patient who was taking uh, a diuretic, which depleted the body of potassium. And she knew that this patient was also taking a potassium pill to balance off the loss of potassium, not mm-hmm. unusual. Mm-hmm. And uh, this person was also on a blood pressure pill that sort of uh, had an impact on on her potassium as well, on his potassium as well. But then the person was prescribed an antibiotic, uh, an antibiotic called Bactrim, Mm -hmm. cotrimoxazole. Mm -hmm. And the person was also taking this potassium pill, as I mentioned. The pharmacist realized that this combination of the potassium pill and the antibiotic and the blood pressure situation Mm -hmm. could lead to something called hyperkalemia. Mm -hmm. Can you explain what that is and why it can be so dangerous? Yeah, now that's a great catch for that pharmacist. Uh, Oh, and by the way, what the pharmacist did was tell the patient, stop taking your potassium pill while you're taking this antibiotic. It could be deadly. Yeah, yeah. Um, Especially this may have been an older patient, but regardless, the combination of uh, three of those drugs can elevate your serum potassium. Potassium is important for our heart. So we need potassium and sodium for our blood to pump in the body. If you have too much potassium, it can indeed stop that electrical signal in the heart and it could lead to failure. It could lead to a fatal uh, event or cardiac arrest. So that is a a pretty darn good catch, I'll say. And hyperkalemia can happen in many ways. But what we're looking at here is the combination of three or four drugs contributing to it. Sulfobactrim alone has a risk of elevating your serum potassium just for what it is. If your kidney sucks, it's going to even be more pronounced. Now we're adding on a potassium-sparing diuretic. 
and the blood pressure that can elevate it. So all of those drugs combined can lead to that potentially fatal uh, life-threatening event. And luckily this patient survived. Yes. <laughs> Which is, and, and thrived. Just, Thriving thanks, thanks to, to the, the pharmacist. There we go. There we go. Here's a question, Dr. It. Canterbury. Yeah. We often advise people to talk to the pharmacist about their drug questions. Mm-hmm. Is that a practical recommendation? Do pharmacists really have time to talk to their customers about drug questions? Um, the current climate of pharmacy will say otherwise. Um, I'm a huge fan of the mom and pops that are out there, the independent-owned pharmacies. They tend to be, I feel, more patient-centered and centric. You're going to have darn good pharmacists in any setting, as much as I, you know, the field tends to look down upon the community setting. But yeah, it's the most accessible person. Uh, you're, you're 90% of the country is within five miles of a pharmacy. And so you can get pretty much free knowledge, free education, I recommend going when it's not as busy. Like, mm-hmm. be nice. Like, be befriend them. Like, get to know your pharmacist. Bring them some food. You be know, thoughtful. bring them some coffee. Like, oh, I want to mm. know when. Tell me when. When's the best and worst time to get your prescription filled? Honestly, the easiest time. The easiest time would be overnight. If there is an mm-hmm. overnight pharmacy available, usually like. 1 or 2 a.m. would actually be the quickest and easiest. Mm. Nobody's there. There's an overnight pharmacist. It's probably done in less than 10 minutes. I would say if it's not that, first thing in the morning. And then maybe I'd say an hour and a half, two hours before close if it's not like, you know, like 8 o'clock. Like if it's 10. So I would say that. Super, super early or in the middle of the night, frankly. So I watch people go into pharmacies a lot. (laughs) And there's this grab and go mentality. Yeah. This grab and go mentality seems to be prevalent because everybody's in a hurry these days. The yeah. pharmacist, first of all, is back behind the counter. I mm. mean, it, you know, there's, there's a wall between the pharmacist and the front people. Mm-hmm. And you can't always tell if you're talking to a pharmacist because the mm-hmm. technicians are off, often wearing some kind of a little white coat or something with a label on it, and you just don't know. Mm-hmm. Am I talking to the pharmacist? Am I talking to the technician? Who am I talking to? Right. But people just grab their bag and out they run. Yeah. And it's like they're not taking this opportunity to discuss how to take the medicine. Right. You know, on an empty stomach, with food, what should you avoid? They're not talking about what are the most common side effects, what are the most dangerous side effects. What symptoms do I look out for? And actually, in North Carolina, you have to explicitly decline your opportunity to talk to a pharmacist when you pick up your medication. Mm -hmm. But most people do. They decline. Yeah. Why is that such a bad idea? Why should people take time? I mean, the pharmacist is, quote unquote, free. You get to have a conversation and learn a lot about your medicines, but most people don't take advantage of that service. Yeah. What what you described was precisely why I fell out of love with pharmacy and got severely depressed with my profession and healthcare as a whole. And it was the impetus for why I created more of a personalized concierge approach to medicine management. And pharmacists truthfully want to have those conversations. We love getting those good, nice, meaty questions about the meds and how to take it, et cetera. But the environment 
constricts us from really doing it in a way that's, I feel, thorough into some people's needs. If it's maybe an older person, you got to spend a little more time, a little more delicacy with managing that. The American lifestyle is to have things fast and now, just like how we are prescribing habits is to have something done, treated fast and now. That's that's our lifestyle. We've been inculcated with that type of mindset. So when we're able to go back and reverse this and just hold the horses, get to the root cause of issues, we can do a better service to people, which is exactly why I feel medicine is shifting to more concierge. It's shifting to more direct primary care. It's shifting to more just the medical care at home model. And that's what I'm seeing in our generation of older adults. We know a pharmacist who calls it the sort of McDonaldization of <laughs> pharmacy. I mean, he's, you know, there's yeah. now drive through. Yeah. It's just like, you know, the pharmacist is flipping burgers. Instead, they're just flipping prescriptions. Yeah. And the idea yeah. is, you know, a lot of people think, well, I'll just drive through and pick up my prescription. It'll be fast. It'll be convenient. Yeah. I don't have to even go into the store. And that mindset seems to me to be counterproductive. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Tim. I was there with two drive throughs trying to manage the same and wondering why we're prioritizing metrics over patient care. And metrics? Meaning? Metrics, like, uh, like uh, how many prescriptions are you filling? Mm -hmm. How fast are you filling them? What's your phone hold time? What's your flu shot counts? You know, mm -hmm. like, so you're being monitored. We're monitored and honestly incentivized and to monetized do more and monetized. Yeah. Yes. I like that. Um, sadly, but it's, it's the truth. So I found myself, like you say, as a glorified bartender and, uh, and I'm not going to deflect or deflate on the profession. It's just what I experienced in that setting, made me create a different way for people with my company, Geriatrics. Well, tell us, if you would, please, how uh, how your company works. How would somebody get yeah. in touch with you? Or sure. are there other companies similar to yours that somebody in another place might be able to contact? Yeah, absolutely. So there aren't as many entrepreneurial pharmacists outside of your pharmacy owners, but they are growing. And I am a part of a, a strong few that are doing this. And so, you know, anyone can reach out to me, whether it be through our website, geriatrics.org, or reaching out on social media. We are on all platforms, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, you name it. You can always send a message and schedule directly with me to have a, a mini consultation. Um, even, and people pay for that consultation. Yeah. People. So you can do this online. Yeah, everything is virtual. Um, I created this business out of COVID, so I wasn't trying to go to people's homes. So people can see me face to face, take as much time as we need to talk about everything about the meds. When you see a situation where somebody is not taking just three, four, five, but maybe 10 or 15 medications and you see, oh my goodness, there are about four or five drugs here that might be counterproductive might mm -hmm. be causing some of the very problems that we're trying to get rid of with yeah. other drugs. Mm -hmm. How do you help that patient interface with their physician or how do you interface with the physician? Because sometimes doctors get a little defensive about sure. stopping a, a medication that they prescribed maybe three or four years ago. Yeah. How, what is the, you know, the, the delicate dance that you have to do to make that work? Yeah, it, it's definitely a dance. Uh, the first step is education and empowerment. So our patient needs to know, hey, did you realize that this could be causing this? And 
where did you ever communicate this concern? Uh, usually they don't. Usually they had no clue. So now the second step is, all right, let's build this case showing why you may not need these medications. That's where I come in with our expertise. We provide a deep prescribing action plan for our families mm-hmm. and patients. That's so important. And the patient can then use that, bring it to the office. But we take it a step further and actually do the advocacy and educating for their providers on their behalf if they choose one of our larger uh, retainer model packages. And so that's where we do the calling. We do the faxing. We do the interventional uh, uh, I guess, uh, change for that patient and show, again, the rationale, the clinical evidence, using the beers list, using the other tools uh, to really show that, hey, how about we just try a drug holiday for a month and see if it goes away or two weeks? And we can always restart later if you don't feel comfortable. Those type of verbiage or that type of verbiage and that type of cadence of showing we're here to help not you know, call you out or, you know, cause any wars. We're really here to just be helping hands and use our expertise in that interdisciplinary care model. And Dr. Canterbury, what is the message today for patients? What would you like people to understand about the pros and cons of their medications? Be transparent and ask until you're comfortable knowing why you're on every single thing. And do not take no for an answer if you want to exert ways to get off of those medications and your provider is being resistant, there are ways to change your lifestyle, your behavior, to find an alternative approach to medication management. And the less meds, the better. Dr. Delon Canterbury, thank you so much yeah. for coming to talk with us on The People's Pharmacy. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. You've been listening to Dr. Delon Canterbury, founder of Geriatrics and the Deprescribing Accelerator. Dr. Canterbury is a board-certified geriatric pharmacist with a passion for reducing harmful medication use in older adults across the country. Lynn Siegel produced today's show. Al Wardarski engineer Dave Graydon edits our interviews. B.J. Lederman composed our theme music. This show is a co-production of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC, with The People's Pharmacy. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements, cocoflavanol supplements that support cognitive and cardiovascular health, made with tested and concentrated flavanol extract, more information at cocovia.com. Today's show is number 1,366. You can find it online at peoplespharmacy.com. That's where you can share your comments about today's interview and find a link to Dr. Canterbury's website. You can also reach us through email, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. Our interviews are available through your favorite podcast provider. You'll find the show on our website on Monday morning. At peoplespharmacy.com, you could sign up for our free online newsletter. In Durham, North Carolina, I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next week. Thank you for listening to the People's Pharmacy Podcast. It's an honor and a pleasure to bring you our award-winning program week in and week out. But producing and distributing this show as a free podcast takes time and costs money. If you like what we do and you'd like to help us continue to produce high-quality, independent healthcare journalism, please consider chipping in. 
All you have to do is go to peoplespharmacy.com slash donate. Whether it's just one time or a monthly donation, you can be part of the team that makes this show possible. Thank you for your continued loyalty and support. We couldn't make our show without you.